On this week's episode of Orange Juice Optional, we're going to be talking about the recent fires in Maui, Hawaii. Our hearts are with the people of Hawaii, and we will be discussing that and also things you can do to prepare for an emergency. Listen in, stay tuned. and welcome to this week's episode of Orange Juice Optional. I'm Michelle and I'm here with Suzanne. Hey, Suzanne. Hi, Michelle. I, you're here with your internet challenged partner. I know. <laughs> I have a few issues with internet because I have con- um, construction going on in my house. So I'm actually sitting at Starbucks today recording. Okay, so are you a grumpy Suzanne because of that, or have you adjusted? Yeah, I'm grumpy Suzanne, without a doubt. Okay, are they grumpy employees now, or grumpy (laughs) contractors now, too? When you light a fire underneath them, does that mean like you raise your voice with them, or you just showed your frustration through deep sighs? I do it mainly through texting, and I'm very polite about it, but it's like, so... When can I expect to see the outdoor crews here again? I haven't seen them in a few days. When are you going to get all of this stuff off my driveway so I can get at my garage again? All valid frustrations. And another valid frustration, which we kind of talked about before this recording, is they're doing a butler pantry inside your house. Yes. But they said it was going to take two weeks, and now you're going on like three or four weeks, and it's not right. Well, not even close. I mean, they're still, the electrician showed up today. Now, the electrician was supposed to be there last week and then didn't show up last week. And herein lies my problem because had I known he was going to be there today, I could have made other arrangements as far as the things I needed to get done, like recording. But he just shows up at my door with no notice and says, I'm here to do the job. And it's like, well, okay, I have to cut the power to do it. It's like, well, okay. Hopefully when he just showed up, you were fully clothed or in pajamas and (laughs) you had already had a cup of coffee. I had already, I had an appointment this morning. I was already home from my appointment when he rang my doorbell and said, so where do I need to get started? It's like, who are you? <laughs> oh my gosh. So, well, yeah. You came up with plan so B. Yeah. And we'll flow with Starbucks. it. Starbucks. Yeah. And we're going to go with it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into the topic today, why don't we transition? There are a couple things that I want to touch on from last week's episode. Okay. As you know, I've been traveling recently. I first went from Las Vegas to Seattle to see my son Cameron and then from Seattle to Anchorage. And I went via airplane, of course, but I just have to talk to you a little bit about that discussion we had on travel pet peeves because what I found that it did was make me a little more anxious about traveling and a little more aware. So we had a little good and a little bad. And I just want to take a moment to talk about that. Sounds good to me. Okay. So a little bit anxious only because of the Seattle airport and everything you said about that. I realized when I got to the airport, these are the same things that frustrate me, but I don't ever give them too much time or attention. But but when I traveled recently, I was 
looking for them. I was trying to pick them out and I saw so many things. And <laughs> the bags on the chairs, yep, everywhere. I even took some video of it. TSA, I was super concerned about. I do have to say in Seattle, I was very impressed because the clear line, the TSA pre-check line went rather fast. And we had like a comedian TSA agent oh. talking to us as we approached. He would make all these jokes like, we've been doing this for 27 years. People, you should know there's no what. I mean, he was just really funny and making it more lighthearted. So I really appreciated that. Okay. Now, well, I was going to say Grumpy Suzanne was going to jump in and say, you cannot put TSA and Seattle SeaTac Airport in the same sentence with I was impressed or whatever the terminology. I was going to jump down your throat, but okay, you have clear, you have pre-check, so we're all good. Yes, we're all good. <laughs> and so that was my awareness of the Seattle airport. The other two things, and you didn't really mention these because you were talking more about your airport experience, but when traveling, mm -hmm. I was seated next to a very, I don't even know how to put or characterize what this man was, but someone I wish I hadn't been seated next to, but you can't choose your seatmate. And there's so much I could say. A, take a shower right. before you get on an airplane because you with your sensitive nose probably would have been gagging. Yeah, I would have. Put on a clean shirt that doesn't have like days worth of stuff on it. Right. I mean, I know people have accidents and they can like drop something on their shirt. I've done it mm -hmm. myself, but this was not just like recent. It looked crusty. And <laughs> <laughs> don't get on your phone when we land and talk super loud and demand to talk to managers about some other issue in your life. And don't put your bag on your lap and keep hitting me with it. A, it's dirty. Ooh, yeah. B, you're pissing me off. And C, like, I don't even know. It just is all bad. So, yeah. yeah you didn't you. even talk about pass other passengers. True. I never got that far. Yeah. I mean, we had so much to talk about in the airport. I never got to the passenger side of it when you're actually on the aircraft. But right. It was bad. And I just, I couldn't. That is bad let this episode go without mentioning mm -hmm. that because again power of suggestion <laughs> my <laughs> mind was looking for these things and the only other bad bad experience i had while traveling had to do with baggage retrieval they sent us to baggage carousel whatever we waited there uh -huh. for 40 minutes before they're like oh we're sorry your baggage actually came off of this carousel it had been waiting for so long that they had removed every single bag and it was lined up there for us to take. Oh, it was ridiculous. For the love of God. Yeah. And that was so the Seattle stupid. airport. Yes. So Yeah, stupid. of course it was because that, that airport cannot get their act together. They just can't. Do you think it's because they're going through a remodel because everywhere they're showing what the new SeaTac is going to look like? So maybe this no. is just a bump in the road? No, no, because the N, the new N concourse is completed. And my brother was just here visiting and we had this conversation because he said, how can they build a brand new concourse and do the same mistake that you see in airports where they put like five gates 
at the end of the concourse altogether. So you have a traffic jam of people and then they have flights taking off like within 10 minutes of each other at each gate. And so you have this influx of passengers trying to get on their aircraft. It's the poorest planning ever. It's like, I don't know what they're thinking. So no, I have, I don't think it has anything to do with their con their construction. Well, I was hopeful. I was trying to find a positive spin as to why, why things right now might be a well, little bit awkward. Well, that's nice of you. Just remember you're talking to grumpy Suzanne today. Let's double down <laughs> on this grumpiness and move on to our next subject. This morning we were talking and you had brought up a subject that you wanted to talk about today. So I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce it and we'll just let it flow from there. Okay. I'll try to hold off on the grumpy part of it until a little bit later, because you know that Maui, Lahaina in particular, is near and dear to my heart. We have been taking our family there for Thanksgiving for decades, really decades. And we don't go every year. We weren't able to go during COVID, but we always stay north of Lahaina and Kapalua. And the fire, I watched it unfold and it broke my heart. It just devastated me. It's like eating a part of your soul, just the memories that you had there, feeling bad for all the yes. people who were losing their homes and their lives, like so Well, horrible. right. And before I knew, it was, this was the first day of the fire, the first morning of the fire, one of my um, sons sent, well, both of my sons actually were sending me news clips. And it's like, you have got to be kidding when you, I could see the flames going down Front Street in Lahaina. And it was so unreal that it was hard to even wrap my head around it. And my first casualty was the banyan tree um, at the end of Front Street because, and I have a family picture. I posted it on my personal Facebook page and on Instagram because we did a family gathering for my daughter's 13th birthday. And we have a picture of our entire family, when all of the cousins were really young, my, because my daughter was the oldest of all of the cousins. And it just broke my heart to see the banyan tree burn. Yeah. And you're not the only person I've heard mention that banyan tree. Um, I don't mm -hmm. have a lot of personal experience in the the area of Maui. I've been there mm -hmm. once, so I don't have those memories, but I have a lot right. of compassion for the whole situation. I, I read somewhere, heard somewhere that they lost 2,400 structures so far. That doesn't include like the landmarks such as the, the banyan tree mm -hmm. with over like, I can't, let me see, I wrote it down. 150 years, 150 years at least. It was 150 years old. And some people are saying that it may survive, but it's too soon to know for sure. It'll never be the same, but it's a, it's that whole front street is such landmark area. And I think that coming from Alaska, there are so many Alaskans who use 
Hawaii as their vacation destination. Kind of like when you're on the East Coast, so many people go to Florida for their vacation destination. Right, because it's usually, or it can be just one flight. It's a direct flight to the islands, and then you can do hoppers from there. So it's very convenient from Alaska. Right. And so Anchorage to Maui is no more than a six-hour flight. And so it's worth it to make that trip. So I think that's part of why Alaskans feel such, are feeling the loss of Lahaina almost as acutely as the Hawaiians are feeling it. We can't even compare it to how the Hawaiians are dealing with it, but I know we feel their pain. Their pain and that sense of loss and that sense of devastation and where do you go from here? How do you even begin to clean up and recover? Right. And you think of all of the people that are left homeless, and it's really the first time that that devastation has really struck me where there are so many families without homes and will be without homes for months and months because it'll take them not that long to rebuild. And possibly yeah, years even. They're still searching and recovering mm-hmm. bodies. I heard that as of this morning, there were 96 confirmed dead with many still missing. And on mm-hmm. CBS News, I heard that as of Saturday, the dogs had only roamed through the cadaver dogs 3% of the devastation. So there's more to come. And that's just so sad. Right. And so here's where we're going to go into my frustration. <laughs> because when the very first day and the second day after the fire swept through, I looked for coverage of the fire. Because for me, it was vitally important to hear what was going on, what people were doing, how people were being taken care of. And I went to, and I'm just putting it out there, I went to CNN, I went to Fox, I went to CNBC, I went to all of the news outlets I could find. And the only coverage I could find was about what was going on in Iowa with Trump and the Republicans and and Hunter Biden and what's going on with him. And all I could say was shame on you for for making politics more important than this this crisis that has turned into the world the United States most deadly disaster in modern history. And how shame on them for not covering it. And of course, now they are covering it. Now they have, they have sent reporters to Maui, I think, but it just took them such a long time to realize. And my theory is that if it's not happening on the East Coast, it's not a story. And it really makes me feel like those of us, especially in Alaska and Hawaii, or who are so far removed from the East Coast, get very little attention, no matter how serious the situation is, because we're not on the East Coast. And the perfect example of that, not to diminish the story about the house explosion in Pennsylvania, but it happened like two days after this fire swept through Maui, and it was getting more attention than Maui. And it was a house explosion. In Pennsylvania. 
The other thing that I want to bring up about this is the anxiety it has evoked in me because I have driven that one road to Kapalua, which goes through Lahaina and Nepali and um, Kanapali to get to Kapalua. And so many times I have thought, I haven't necessarily thought about a fire, but I thought, well, what if there's a hurricane? What if there's something happens? How do you evacuate? Because there's that one road. And so I have dealt with a lot of anxiety since this happened. And I, I'm trying to process it. And that's what my next conversation with you, it may be in our next segment. I want to be, a, I want our conversation to be about preparing for emergencies. And I think we'll have a good flow into that. It does lead you to want to take a moment of pause and really process those things. It looked like a war zone. I, I have no other words to describe like the images that I've seen, just the utter mm -hmm. destruction. And that's super right. scary. Now, when we were in Hawaii many years ago, and I know our listeners have heard this story, we were told that <laughs> yes. it was go going to be hit by a missile. And mm -hmm. there was really, and this is, I mean, there was a, those same concerns, like, where are we going to go? We're on an island. There's nowhere to go other than underground into the sewer or something. And then what's that going to do? But I know a big part of this conversation has been about Maui's preparedness or how prepared they were, their emergency alert system, mm -hmm. which I guess every month, maybe it's twice a month, they do an emergency drill around noon. Right. So everyone knows what those sirens sound like, but it doesn't sound like those sirens went off. I mean, I'm just only saying what I've heard. I don't know if there's been an update right. since then, but those systems are put in place for a reason. And I think when we were in Honolulu years ago, I don't remember hearing sirens. Like this is an nope, emergency. We we're didn't. not kidding. So we got, we got the then. alarm on our, we got the alarm on our phone. And again, my brother was visiting. And so he and I talked about that too, because we both agree I think that fire moved so fast, it caught everyone, including officials, off guard. And I think they didn't even have time to react. I think that fight, they said that fire was moving a mile every 10 minutes is what they said. Oh my God. And it's like, how does that even happen? How do you even have time to react if you're human? And so I can't really find a lot of fault or pass a lot of blame on anyone just because I think these things happen. And I think about that in Anchorage, Alaska, when it's an earthquake where oh, yeah. you, you know, you don't have warning. You have to react. You have to be prepared yourself. And that's where I want to go with this conversation is we can't depend on officials to prepare us for it. We have to prepare ourselves. I remember the last big earthquake, it was, I think, December 1st of 2018 or 2019, mm -hmm. where we weren't in town, mm -hmm. but we were getting Jeff messages. Was, yeah, we were getting messages from loved ones and stuff. And just that thought of like, it's winter up mm -hmm. there. What if power is knocked out and people don't have heat and there's mm -hmm. really no way out of there? Right. You're stuck right. until they can get up there and help you. So do you get in your car and if you can get out of the garage mm -hmm. and sit in it and just keep turning it on so you can get a little bit of heat? Like, 
you you don't mm-hmm. know like natural disasters they just as you said take you by surprise not a lot of time mm-hmm. to react i remember 911 so well and i remember that helpless almost panic when i saw the pictures of what was happening in new york and the only way i could calm myself down and take care of my own anxiety was to prepare myself for in the case of an emergency. And that's making sure I have things ready to go, making sure I have an exit plan. And it may never work for me. It may never help me, but at least I have those things in place so that when an emergency happens, I don't immediately panic because I know in an earthquake, your adrenaline goes. I mean, it's like that earthquake hits and it's terrifying and adrenaline just starts pumping, but you have to be able to pause and think and react. Do you want to move into a section where we can go a little bit deeper into the idea of being prepared? Okay, let's move on to that. So with so many natural disasters and life just happening and unfolding like it does, as Suzanne was just saying in the last segment, we need to be prepared. And I know you have a lot of ideas about that, Suzanne. Mm -hmm. I have some ideas and what I didn't have are to shape my ideas and put them in a nice little format. I did go to the redcross.org backslash prepare and I watched a video they had. And so I have some notes on that, but Being prepared is so important. And you were talking about 9-11. I can go back as far as being a kid in school and the fire truck coming to the school and giving us that whole fire lecture about how to be prepared, have a meeting spot. And in those first couple of weeks after that, so gung-ho talking to your parents like, yeah, we need to do this. We need to do that. And then it kind of fell Mm -hmm. apart because you don't really need it until you need it. And when you need it. Right you're going to be so thankful you had it. And so when my kids were growing up, again, like we had some food set aside, some things set aside, but were we as prepared as we should have been knowing that we live in an earthquake zone? We were not. No. And I think that that, I think that is typical and I think that is normal, but I think my emphasis is more on how, how do we deal with the anxiety of what we're experiencing or what we're watching And in my opinion, the best way to deal with the anxiety of what we're watching and how to control it is by controlling what we can control and being as prepared as we can be and not relying on other people to help us. And it very well could be that we will be in a situation where we need other people's help. But day to day, it helps me knowing I'm doing everything I can to be prepared for this situation. And even knowing deep down all of my efforts may go out the window and I'll give you an example. Let's talk about that earthquake. And I think it was actually, I don't know if it was 2019. I thought it was 2019, but Jeff was home. Eric was in Anchorage and we have a preparedness pack in the closet by our front door. And we all know about that pack. And Jeff ran out the door without it. (laughs) 
So it's like, we have it, but it doesn't do any good if you leave the building without it. But it's okay because we, we went to the effort to prepare it, to have it, to make it. To, so even if we go back a day later, that bag's there somewhere to grab. Unless exactly. it burns, burns up in a fire. Do you want to go through the three steps that the Red Cross suggests? Yes. And then you can add yes. in your thoughts or things that you did differently to help you make. Absolutely. To help make you feel secure. I can't even talk today. It's like I'm tongue tied <laughs> or something. Okay. <laughs> okay. So again, to all the listeners out there, and I will put this in the show notes, a link to it, but I got this information from a video I watched with redcross.org backslash prepare. Now, it's a lot of things I would have done myself, have thought of myself. I just didn't organize it in a neat little video that flowed very well. So that's my spiel okay. there. Okay, okay so three steps that they recommend. And the first step is one we've talked about, prepare a kit. And right. for that kit, they are saying you need food and water. And what they <laughs> suggest is at least three to five days supply. Right. possibly longer if you're going to be stuck in your home or in a location. They recommend having a radio and flashlight, but mm -hmm. along with the radio and flashlight, you need to have some extra batteries. Just be prepared. First aid kit, copies of important documents, and some cash. And those were the yep. things they recommended for their kit. Were there other things that you added in your kit, Suzanne? Absolutely. Number one. And it was emphasized by a doctor that was interviewed in Lahaina when he was let in to see what he could, how he could assist. And what he found were people that were without their medications, their heart medication, their insulin, oh. their allergy medication, their anything you can think of that it's like have that supply in your preparedness kit. So Very good addition. Least, yep, at least a couple of days. And he said he himself was shocked by it. He thought he was going to be dealing with critically injured people. And he was dealing with, he said he came across several diabetics who did not have insulin. And they knew it was critical for them to get it to live. And the pharmacy had burned to the ground. <laughs> so that's what he found remarkable. That is a wonderful addition. And I'm thinking of being in Alaska too, maybe throw a mm -hmm. winter jacket in there or some warm clothes just in case. And knowing my own personal preparedness kit, the emergency blanket, you know, that aluminum foil blanket <laughs> that oh, yeah. to keep you warm, the hand warmers and the feet warmers that you can get at any outdoors store if it's cold uh, to have, you know, anything that provides warmth, hats, mittens, diapers, if you have kids, powdered baby formula, if you have babies. Yeah, all wonderful additions. Now, let me ask you, where do you keep your emergency kit? Do you keep it in the garage? Do you keep it in a car? Where do you keep yours for easy access? Well, after 9-11, I was pretty diligent and I had it... For a long time, I had it in the garage, very close to the garage door. And then I worried about would I be able to access my garage with an electric garage door opener. 
if the power was out. So then I moved it out to my attached shed um, on the side of the house because I thought, well, at least I can access it. But then there's always the concern about things freezing that shouldn't freeze. But bigger concern is being able to access it if you need it. So it's it still is in my shed, attached shed on the side of the house. And I do, you're supposed to check it every six months to update it. I do it more like every, well, now every time I'm in Alaska, like every year. But, you know, every one to two years, I check it. Okay, that makes sense. And that's a good thing to add into the conversation also, because things do expire, batteries do go dead. So just make right. sure everything in there is viable and you can use it. So anything else you want to add about step one? No. Okay, well, we'll move I on to step good. two, which is make a plan. And again, as kids going to school, fire truck comes in, you know, where do you meet? Have a meeting point. That is part of making a plan. Make sure you have a talk with your family about where those meeting points are. And um, right. Red Cross did suggest you have not only a meeting point right next to your house, if it's safe to be there, but one somewhere within your neighborhood or just outside your neighborhood, if it's not safe to be there. So two different meeting points. One is plan A, but if you can't get to plan A because it's not safe, there's a plan B. Right. Have an emergency contact outside of your area that everybody has a number for, and they can call mm -hmm. if you're not all together. That was something they recommended. But in your phone, if you have an emergency contact, and this is, I know it's common knowledge, but in case you don't know this, you put in ICE, capital letters, in case of emergency. So any medical or first responder can check your phone for ICE, and that will be the, your emergency contact in your phone. Yeah, good point of reference there. Thank you for adding that. They suggest that you have an evac, well, we talked about evacuation point as far as meeting points, but an evacuation, I can't even talk, an evacuation plan with multiple routes to get to those points, have a plan for pets, and have a plan in case you have to shelter in place. You can't get out of your home. Where in your home do you go? So assistance can find you and to practice this at least two times a year. That was their recommendation. Um, yep. Their final recommendation under make a plan was to contact others when safe, either by phone, email, social mm -hmm. media, like checking in your Louis Vuitton bag is safe. <laughs> Which I did in Hawaii. Yes, you did in Hawaii. And then um, also Red Cross, I guess, has a place where you can check in safe too. And people can check for your name there. I think more importantly, know how to find your your emergency locator beacon on your phone so that if you're trapped and you sound your beacon on your phone, it's just a sound that goes off every 15 seconds. So if people are looking for you, they might, if you can't speak, they might hear your emergency locator. Suzanne, Red Cross has a plan and you have a more in-depth plan. <laughs> a better plan. Yeah, you're just... An additional plan. Right, which they probably have listed on their site too, but it wasn't in the video, probably. so I didn't think to write it down, but that that's a very good idea and something everyone should remember, so I like it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Anything else about step two? Uh, No, that's good. Okay. Well, step three is be informed. Learn what you need to know about the area that you're in. Know if earthquakes Mm -hmm. are a factor. Know if hurricanes could be a factor. So just kind of know what's going on in your area. Um, The second one was when something's going on, be sure to monitor the news. Look for alerts, warnings the best you can. And the third thing they had under be informed is make sure at least one family member knows first aid or CPR. Have an exit plan wherever you are. Exactly. (laughs) Emergency or not. Every time I walk into a building, every time I get on a train, every time I get on an airplane, if I'm in a hotel room, if I'm in my house, I have an exit plan and it may not work, but I have an exit plan. So I am prepared so I don't panic if something happens. So I can reset my mind and say, okay, what is my exit plan in this situation? It may or may not work, but I'm going to have a plan. While you were talking about that, I was thinking of the safety briefings on an airplane. Even though I've heard it hundreds of times, I always pause and listen just to be familiar with my surroundings. And it gives me a Mm -hmm. a peace of mind also, because I'm like, the one time I don't listen, there's going to be an emergency. And what if I don't remember? So I do take a moment, probably not as diligently as you, like in every place I am, (laughs) to find my closest exit. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if I've told you this story in our podcast about what happened at U Village when I was in Seattle. Did we talk about that? I don't think so. Oh, no. We talked about something that happened in Atlanta, not in U Village. In Seattle. Well, we were sitting having lunch. We had the kids with us. I was with my son and daughter-in-law and the two grandkids, and we were sitting in the courtyard having lunch. And it was a crowded day. It was a beautiful day. We're outside. And one of the security guards came running as fast as he could through the courtyard, yelling at the top of his lungs, get off the property, move, move as fast as you can, get off the property. And of course, you think shooter, you think there's a shooter on the property and he's clearing, you know, clearing the grounds in in case the shooter comes. And we grabbed the kids and my daughter-in-law had one of, had the baby and my son had the three-year-old. I grabbed all of our packages and we ran for our lives and we grabbed people as we were running because not everyone heard him. Just the people that he was, as he was yelling, as he was running past us, heard him. And so everyone around us got up and started running. But we, when we ran about a block, there were people like, what's going on? Why is everyone running? And we were grabbing people and basically saying, run for your life. And it was terrifying. But And it turned out that this um, inexperienced security guard was yelling at two shoplifters and he was chasing them off the property, not realizing as he was yelling that he would, it sounded like he was alerting the area to evacuate. 
And that so would be terrifying. That, it was terrifying. Not only did we, we probably sprinted a half a mile carrying children and bags and strollers as fast as we could. So we were, our adrenaline was pumping. We were terrified. And when it was all said and done, we all felt a little foolish. And we talked about it afterwards. And we said, no, we did exactly what we were meant to do. And we followed our instincts and our instincts were correct. We bolted because that's what you do. And if you feel stupid, oh, well, <laughs> you might be alive to feel stupid instead of dead. We called 911 and we heard the sirens. And I, you know, I'm kind of thinking maybe that security guard maybe isn't a security guard anymore. <laughs> but that being said, we did what we had to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, our instincts take over and we just follow at that point. It's yep, exactly. Flight or fight, I guess, is what they call it. So, yep. Yep. well, those are the three steps that Red Cross shared. And again, this is their organized information, things that we think of ourselves. But this is, I mean, how do I say it? Red Cross is the organization for things like that. So if you want to find out more about that, please go to their link. Please look at their video. Go to their list because I guess they have lists also of things that you can throw into an emergency kit and be prepared because you never know. Life's crazy. Life is crazy. Well, this was a heavier episode than we usually do, but I believe that the topic being so current is an important one to remind people to have compassion and empathy and to send their prayers to Hawaii as we are, but also um, remember you can help yourself out too. So thank you, Suzanne, for suggesting this topic. For me, it was a fascinating topic to discuss and our hearts do go out to all of the residents in Maui. Yeah, definitely. We do have a book of the month coming up. And for those mm -hmm. of you who haven't read it yet, you still have a week. Uh, the book that we are reading is The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. It is a fictional book, kind of a mystery. So that'll be next week. Can't wait. I hope you mean that. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> you always surprise <laughs> me for sure. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, with that, I'm going to give you something to sip on. And here we go. Even the smallest act of caring for another person is like a drop of water. It will make ripples throughout the entire pond. And that is by, or that was said by Jesse and Brian Mateo. And it's important to remember, whatever you can do, it helps. It makes a difference. And jump in and help. Yep, that's a great one to sip on. Okay, until next week, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.